0: Okay. It's me too thing. You said what? Ah. Me? <laughs> okay, so this morning was very interesting because we had a class this morning, and the question that I got at the end of the class was very, very interesting. So we're going to start where we were this morning, go to the question, and try to answer the question. Was the question, was was I still there when the question was made? He asked me, he kept going. For, yeah, Soli, Soli oh, asked okay. me. And Soli's brilliant guy. Yeah. So, Are you taught this morning? <coughs> Do you teach in the morning? No, I don't teach in the morning. you teach in the morning when he comes in the No, gym? No, 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 no. We're sitting at breakfast and just oh, just breakfast? schmoozing. We're schmoozing at breakfast. Yes. Right? yes. We're schmoozing, schmoozing at, at breakfast. breakfast. That's it. Anyway, no, I definitely taught this morning because it was my aunt's yard side and I wanted to teach the class in order to say with Khatish. Okay. Is it going to go? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so, we'll go slow. Um, We end last week's portion. So God is communicating with Moses. And he's telling Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Right out of the movie. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, God sent me. And Pharaoh says, if the people have nothing better to do than to think about a vacation, they must not be working hard enough. So if they're working a 12-hour day, let's figure out how to make them work an 18-hour day. So instead of giving them the straw to make the bricks, they're going to have to find it themselves. Other people are not too happy and tell Moses, why did you interfere with our lives? We were getting by. We're managing. Now, it's not even manageable. So Moses goes back to God and uses some very interesting language. He says, <coughs> "He says, Lama Hareotah Laam Hazeh? Why did you do evil? It's a big accusation to make against God. Why did you do evil to these people? Why did you send me? From the moment you sent me to Pharaoh to speak in your name, only evil has been done to this people, and I didn't save them." like you said. So God tells Moses, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh and how I'm, he's going to send the people out and how he's going to literally throw them out. So the, 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 the problem is Moses has a valid argument. I went, he told me I'm going to take the people out, and all of a sudden things are much worse. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a question that later on Moses asks God, Much later on, after they received the the Torah on Mount Sinai, he asks God to show me your face. And God says, no one could see my face and live. But if you stand in the corner of the cleft, I'm going to go by and you'll see my back. What is the question? What does that mean, see my face? So all of the commentaries basically answer the same thing. And they say, Moses asks God, why do... Bad things happen to good people. Basic question in life. And God says to Moses, you can't see from the middle of the picture what's happening. You can only see after the picture is completed. Right now, you're a dot in one of Cezanne. Who's the dot? You're a dot in one of those paintings. And if you're just looking at dots, you can only see dots you can't see. You have to step back after the painting's completed. You'll understand everything that's happening. It seems Moses is asking God this question for the first time here. You sent me there to do good. Instead, you did evil. Why? What was the purpose if they were going to do evil? So God answers him and it says, Vaidaber Elohim. And we have two words of, for speech in Hebrew there's Vaidaber, Daber. And there's Vayomer, Amar. Daber is a harsh language. Vayomer is a soft, loving language. So initially it starts out and says, Vaydaber Elohim. Vaydaber Elohim is harsh language, and it uses the term for God, which is Midat Hadin, which is the, the language of judgment. So God is speaking to Moses, using this harsh language, language of judgment. It says, Vaydaber Elohim El, el- Moshe. And then all of a sudden it spins around and says, He says in the, in the nice language, Ani Hashem, I'm the God of mercy. So, how do we understand the beginning of the verse is Elohim, the end of the verse is mercy? So, God is telling Moses, What you see as judgment, what you see as punishment, what you see as deen. Oh, okay. But you see as Elohim, Elohim. But you see as judgment, as deen, in actuality, is mercy. How? Is that always the case? <clears throat> in this case, it seems to be that that's what God is telling Moses. But you're not speaking like in general, just in this specific case. In this specific case, but I think that this is the general rule that God is, is always telling Moses, so I started out that Moses asks God one later on, show me your face, which means why do bad things happen to good people? Only when you see my back, only after the painting's completed. In all cases, God is saying that everything he's doing is for the good, even if we don't understand it. V'adabed Elohim, harsh language deen, Yomer Hashem. So now the question is where here do we see Good coming from the negative. So. We later see. That. That the Nazarell are supposed to be in Egypt. For 430 years. In the end. They're only in Egypt for 210. 117 where they're. Working. 86 where they have harsh labor. So what happens is they're supposed to be there for a certain amount of time. So many of the rabbis explain that what happens in this case is that God adds on to their labor for a short time in order for them to pay the bill and that way they can get out early. Okay? The question that that's asked with regard to that is they're able to tolerate their life at first, now it becomes intolerable. So if you go to the bank and you wanna get a mortgage, you have a choice of a 30-year mortgage or say a 10-year mortgage. A 30-year mortgage means you get time to pay, you can work it into your budget, and even though you're paying longer, you could handle it. But a 10-year mortgage means I have to pay too much right now, so maybe B'nai Israel, are willing to accept the 30-year mortgage, right? Why is it necessary to speed up the payments to a short mortgage? So the answer, that's given, the answer that's given is that had they stayed a moment longer, had they stayed a moment longer, they would have sunk to a level so low that they could not have come out. Now, so, so that's where we started this morning. One of the guys then asked a question and said, if it was supposed to be 430 years, and the Pasuk basically tells us later on that B'nai Israel spent 430 years in Egypt, but we all know that they didn't spend 430 years. When we calculate, they spent 210 years, and the, the harsh work was only 86. If that's the case, why the 430? How does it relate to the 86? And what's going on? How do we know it's 86 years of, <clears throat> of harsh labor? Okay, explain now. So, so just to start, we, we basically have... Then, then, so, so to come up with the answer that I was looking for... Just pick me a, oh, a, napkin okay. for you. a napkin from the kitchen. <clears throat> so to come up with the, with the answer... I looked at something from the Gemara, and the Gemara tells us something very interesting. <coughs> we have here that God promises Moses. He says, "Lachen therefore, and more." Thank you so much. That's all I want. It's fine. No, no. Just because I walked in from outside. Lachen therefore, and more. Live Ne Israel. Speak to the children of Israel. Say, "Ani Adonai, I am God." Vehotseiti etchem, mitachat sivlot mizrayim, I will take them out. So, this is the first language of redemption: is vehotseiti. Vehitzalti etchem me'avodatam, I will rescue them from their work. That's the second language. Vegaalti etchem b'zroa netuyah, I will redeem them with a strong arm. And then the next verse, and I will take them for me as a nation. So we have four languages of redemption. And we all learned when we were, whoever we were, when we were little kids in school, that the four languages of redemption relate to the four Uh, cups of wine that we drink on Pesach. So the Gemara, so, so the reality is that we have to understand that any time we have an action that we're, requ- we're required to do, there has to be something behind that action other than just a simple action. It can't just be an action. It can't just be, take four cups of wine. So the Gemara, for example, says, minayin Kosot What? Where do we have a source that we have to have four cups of wine at the Seder on Passover? Rabbi Yochan Beshem Rabbi he says, why do we have to have four cups? The first reason is the first reason we learned. We have four cups of wine corresponding to the four expressions of redemption, which we just read. The second reason, Rabbi Yoshua Levi Omer, he says, He says, it's against the four cups of Pharaoh that are mentioned in the dream. Of the Sar mashkim of the butler, which Joseph interprets. The reason we drink four cups of wine, he's saying, is because when Joseph interpreted the dream for the butler, there were four times the word Kos in the dream. For each of those words Kos, meaning cup, we drink a cup of wine. Gemara says a third reason. He says that now we have four, because in addition to the exile in Egypt we will face four exiles in the future. The first exile being Babel, Babylonia, Hara, Persia, and Mede. The next one Greece, and the final one Rome, Edom, which we're still in, which, would, which will be before the final redemption. So because we're going to have four exiles, we drink four cups of wine against each one of the exiles. That's the third reason of the Gemara. And the fourth reason of the Gemara the rabbis say, why do we have four cups? It says, because the vengeance that God is going to take against each of our enemies. So because God is going to take vengeance over those four nations, then we drink four cups to celebrate that God is defending us. Okay. He's defending us and He's going to console us with those four cups. Those are the four reasons. So that's so. Now we drink four cups of wine, and we see this is the reason we drink four cups of wine. <coughs> so the first one, I mean, I learned when I was a little kid against the four languages of redemption. The one that goes with regard to the to the Sar Hamashkim, to the butler and his dream. This is the first time I saw that. Right? I don't know if you ever, you ever saw that before. But the truth is, I did see it before because I learned it in the Gemara, but I just didn't even pay attention to it. Right. <laughs> This is in Did I write it? I didn't write it. I have the exact words. I could just look it up. I have it. I have it over there. Okay, so I'll, I'll look it up if I gets you. so says so so regarding how it relates he says that we see in Shemot, Bet. So we looked this morning. Shemot Bet, pasuk 40. It says this strange term, which again, when we said it this morning, no one remembered even seeing this in the Torah. And we read it every year. And it says, "Umoshav and the, the residency of b'nei Yisrael, Asher Yashvu b'Mitzrayim, who were dwelling in Egypt, Sheloshim Shana, thirty years, the Arba Meot and four hundred years." So it says that, that the, the, the children of Israel dwelled in Egypt for 430 years. Now, we never learned that. We learned Brit Ben HaBet Harim. He tells them it's going to be 400 years. Where do we have 430 years? So, in Shemot, in Shemot 1240. Wow. Again, you read it every year. Go right by it. And something we don't even pay attention to. So we date the 430 years to breed Ben Habatari. If Abraham was 70 at the time of this revelation to him by God, then then 430 years from that day is the day of the Exodus. But if we're supposed to have been in Egypt for 430 years, how does all of this make sense? Where do we get 86 and get out on 86? And and it relates really to this whole concept of deen and pushing off the idea of deen now, how do we get to 86? So the Gemara tells us that 86 begins with the birth of Miriam. Miriam's name is Bitter. So her father named her Bitter because the harsh years of slavery began with her birth. She's six years older than Moses. They leave when Moses is 80. <coughs> Therefore, the harsh years of slavery were 86. Now, if we take 430 and we divide it by 5, we get 86. So what it means is there's 5 periods of 86. What do we divide by? 86. 4.30 divided by 86 is 5. So in essence, we only... by 86 is 5. Divide by 5 is 86. Oh, the other way. divided by 86 years is 5. What's the significance of 5? That's what we're going to see now. So basically, we stayed in Egypt with harsh labor one-fifth of the time we were required to stay in Egypt. Now, interesting enough, the word kos, cup, in Hebrew, has a gematria of 86. It does. 86 is kos. Not only that, the word for for, Midat ha, for God with Midat-Hadin, the name of God, Midat-Hadin, is the name okay. Elohim. Yeah. And Elohim has a gematria of 86. 86. 86. So 86 has to do with harsh judgment. When B'nai Israel leaves Egypt, it says the Egyptian, the Egyptian Egypt, meaning the, the sire of Egypt, the, the angel, the archangel is the one who's leading the pursuit. Why? Because the angel says, hey, it's only been 86 years of slavery. It's supposed to be 430. Who gave them a get-out-of-jail-free pass? How can they leave so quickly? So, we have to understand that Hashem, and this is one of the reasons that Moshe tells God, what are you sending me for now? The time's not ready. So, so what happens is we have to see that Hashem performed a tremendous, a tremendous chesed to allow them to leave, a kindness, to allow them to leave so much before. So to understand the first is the, the four cups that are mentioned by the Sar HaMashkim in his dream. It says that Joseph understood from the dream of the Sar HaMashkim, of the, of the butler, what he's going to need to do to prepare Egypt in order that he creates some spiritual and physical reality that will allow the people to leave with only 20% of the bill paid. Wow. I have 100% of the bill is 430. I'm only paying 20% of the bill. Joseph sees it in the cost, 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 cost mentioned in the dream of the Sar and only 20% left Egypt. Only 20% left Egypt. Ah, that could be also. So he says, in the dream that, Yos, that the, that the, that the, the, the uh, butler is stating his dream, he says that there was a grapevine, and the grapevine contained three twigs. He says, what are the three twigs? Moshe, Aharon, Miriam. They were the, the three that allowed them to come out. The blossoming and budding of the grapevines represents the geulah. The fact that the vine immediately budded and blossomed shows that Pharaoh's cup, that Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. He says, from this, from this fact, he says, this is what the Gemara is saying, that from this fact that the cup was in Pharaoh's hand and it's mentioned four times cup, we drink four cups of wine. He says that, what what did Yosef do? He says that Hashem alluded to Yosef that he had something to do to be able to get them out. Going further, what did he do? What did he do to make a reality that Egypt would accept the payment of 20% instead of 100%? He, um, he uh, allowed the people of Egypt to uh, just give 20% of exactly. He says, Yosef said today, He says, this is what the Torah says, Look, I have acquired you today and your land for Pharaoh. Here is the seed for you, sow the land, and you're going to take everything, you're going to keep four-fifths, and the king is going to get one-fifth. So he says, by this action, Joseph imposed a law until this day regarding the land of Egypt, that Pharaoh only gets one-fifth. He says, Yosef saw by Ruach HaKodesh, that Israel would only endure the hardship of slavery in Mitzrayim for 86 years, which would leave them packing, which would leave them lacking sorry four times 86. therefore he issued a law in Egypt and we say Dina de mahuta Dina, the law of the land is the law that in order to pay a debt to the king, one only has to pay one-fifth of the debt and that's why we have the four cups. To celebrate what? That we got out without having those four-fifths to pay. Wow. Goes further. The Arizal brings, in Sha'ar HaPesukim, why wine? And he brings wine based on the fact that the the, the wine is reminiscent of the sin of Adam HaRishon. When Adam sinned, the fruit that Adam... 8, the Gemara says that what was the fruit? The fruit was the, the, the grape. It was, it, was the, it was squeezed into the cup. His Rabbi Meir says in the Gemara Berachot that it was a grapevine, for there is nothing that brings misfortune upon a man like wine does. Therefore, to commemorate the miracle of Hashem taking B'nei Israel out of Egypt four times 86 years before they completed the tikkun Fokhet Etzada'at, meaning the sin of eating from the fruit of the tree, which involved wine. It was instituted to drink four cups of wine relating to the sin of the etzadah. Where is this in the Qumar? So so this is... The 48. (coughs) We learn a chidush also from the Torah Chayim. He says, it's true that Hashem weighed four-fifths of the servitude beneath Israel, so they wouldn't sink to this 50th level of tumah. So the problem is they still had to compensate for those other four parts. We, we basically didn't pay the bill. The bill was to be in exile for five parts. We, didn't, we only paid one part. So he brings that what are the other parts of the bill that we have to pay? Those other four parts of the bill are the four exiles. Bavel, Paras, uh, Yavan, Greece Edom. and Edom. He says and that's how you calculate It goes further. And he brings in the name... But the, these are not literal periods. Ah, so that's the, the, this, is the, this is the next question he's going to bring. He says that the, that the Torah Chayim developed this idea, and he said, he quotes a, a mekubal, his name is Rabbi Yehuda Lev Hashki, in the name of Rabbi Elchanan. And he, and he brings this based on the Arizal, who writes in Sha'ar HaPesukim and Likute Torah Pashad Bo, I'm just giving you the source in case on this Shemot 1240, meaning 430 years, that the habitation of Bnei Israel was 430 years. The Arizal provides a rationale for the sum of 430 years. During the Galut in Mitzrayim, Israel was supposed to mitigate by means of hard labor the five aspects of Elohim, for they are sources of dinim, justice and severity, and five times 86 equals 430. This is what the Arizal brings. The Arizal adds, that is why the name Elohim is mentioned five times in the three adjacent pesukim relating to the slavery in Egypt, which we see in Perech Bet, Pasuk 23. What's the Arizal talking about? So we know that we have, at the end of the holiday of Sukkot, we have Hoshana Rabbah. In Hoshana Rabbah, we take take basically a plant, and uh, we hit the plant on the ground, Five times. When we hit the plant on the ground five times, we're supposed to think of the letters man sapach, the, the, the Sofit letters. So Hebrew has 22 regular letters and five final letters that will complete a word. Because these letters are final letters, they break, they end, there's no continuation. So they represent the negative forces. When Adam sinned, Adam released into the world these five negative forces. These five dinim, which are associated with Elohim. So what do we have to do? We have to fix those aspects of Adam's sin. Now, the people who are in Mitzrayim are the extension of Adam trying to correct his sin. Basically, the people who were Adam come back in the time of Noah, in the time of the flood, We fail. We get another chance to come back in the Tower of of Babel. We fail. We get another chance as the people of Sodom. We fail. And finally we come back to try to fix it all as slaves paying the price while we're in Egypt. And that's why in Egypt they threw the kids in the water because that's reminiscent of the flood and they made us build bricks because that's reminiscent of the Tower of Babel. And everything has to do with the other three sins that we did and all of that relates to fixing those dinim, fixing those dinim. So it says that we read. So, so this whole idea of the of the so show us these aspect of the amazing. dinim. It's five failures. It's five failures. Adam, Noah, Bavel, Stone, and now Mitzrayim. And, it's, but, and Mitzrayim is where they're going to fix it. Yeah, sure. right. Not even completely. They're going to fix it. They're only going to fix four. So they're fixing the tikkun et's hadat. They're fixing that. That's the five dinim. 5 times 86 Each of them is 86 86 represents the Deen And that's what we have to repair Goes further He says the 430 years Is triggered by the 5 times Givurot That was released By Adam Harishon When he sinned The power of the Nachash If we go a little deeper Is in these 5 levels of Mansapach And by us fixing each level Of Elokim, Elokim, Elokim We fix it Goes further. He says that the, the Lev Arya adds an incredible insight. Hashem mitigated the four remaining names of Elohim for Israel in the merit of their prayers. What prayers? He says, We have three Pesukim in which the Arizal notes that the name Elohim is mentioned five times. He brings in Shemot. For upon examination of these Pesukim, we find the first Pasuk mentions the name Elohim once, and the second Pasuk mentions it four times. So it's as if Hashem is saying, if you deal with the 186, we're going to give you the three hundred forty-four as a slide. He goes further, he says that that when they cry out to Ha Elohim, the word used is Ha Elohim. What's Ha Elohim? Hay is five. Five times Elokim. Hashem is saying, okay, you pay one, we'll get rid of the other four, to cover all five. And that's why we constantly see the word here, ha-elokim, 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 especially when God is talking to Moses. Does that go further into Moses? He says, now, in this manner, we interpret the dialogue that took place between Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem. Moshe says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should take Bnei Israel out of Egypt? And God said, I shall be with you. This is the sign that I have sent you. When you take the people out of Egypt, you will worship Ha Elohim, on this mountain. Ah. It says, Moshe was well aware that Ben Israel was supposed to be there for 430 years. He's saying to God, what are you sending me now? There's nothing I could do now. There's only 86 God. I can't do anything to get them out. He says, upon realizing that Hashem was sending Ben Israel out of Mitzrayim after 86 years of tax and servitude, he's astonished. He specifically addresses Ha Elohim, alluding to five times that it's supposed to be. He says, and who am I that I should take B'nai Israel? After all, they didn't complete their enslavement equal to four more times. In truth, that's why Hashem chose Moshe Rabbeinu. They need to do 344. The name Moshe, Mem Shinhe, is 345. And God is telling Moshe, you're the ot, you're the sign. Through you, we can set aside the other 344 and they can pay that bill later. He goes. Why, why Moses, uh, say, that's what about, God is convincing him and saying. Moses the question ah, so. But, but, that's, but that's, that's Moses' argument in, in essence. Everyone says that Moses' argument is based on this. That Moses is saying, if I'm going to take them out, I want to complete the job. I want it to be complete, no partial, meaning. I go in and it's Mashiach and it's over, and that's why Moses says, "Shelach tishlach, send in the hand of who you're going to send. Who is that?" says Eliyahu Hanavi. Moses is telling God, "Don't send me. Shelach send tishlach. Send Elijah. Why send Elijah? Because if he's going to bring in the final redemption, let him go, and don't bother me." But God is saying, no, they can't stay anymore. But why did he bring up the Aral um, It's irrelevant to what you're saying now. It's not part of the. the hey, he's looking for an excuse for him not to go. He's bringing <laughs> one excuse after another. But this one's. Uh, is, is, is a big not, excuse. Uh, <coughs> but this is, is really hidden, he's saying, in the, it's hidden within the words. It's not something so revealed. He says, so, so Hashem says to Moshe, I, I'm going to be with you, meaning I'm going to be with you, Moshe. And Moshe is this aspect of 345. And he goes on and he brings this whole idea of, it, of it's an ought. An ought is a letter. And the letter is 345 minus 1 is 344. And he goes into the details of the number. He goes, why, so. Why, why 344 plus 1? 344, the ought is 1. The sign is the 1. That's Moshe. Uh. So Moshe, 1 plus 344 is 345, which is Moshe to cover the 344, which is the 86 times 4. So it goes further. It says in the Yerushalmi, we have this uh, this idea of drinking the four glasses. We have the four expressions of Geulah, the four expressions of redemption. It says the second reason is the, the cups with regard to the cups with regard to the uh, the dream. So we see the reason the cups with the dream is Moshe as Yosef was able to change the whole thing to only pay one fifth of the bill. The next one was the corresponding to the four regimes of the four exiles, because we're going to have to pay the bill eventually in those four additional exiles. And the fourth one is based on retribution, because he says, in the merit of Midat HaDin associated with the name Elohim, Hashem decreed the epic catastrophic downfall of the Egyptians, beginning with the ten plagues, concluding with their drowning in Yamsu. Similarly, after Israel accomplishes the tikkun of the other four aspects of the name Elokim during the subsequent four galuyot, the four exiles, Hashem is going to impose on the goyim embittered. He's, he's going to take it out uh, for them. And Hashem is going to provide four cups of consolation for B'nai Israel. So this whole idea of the four cups really serves to remind us that we had a much bigger price to pay. And any time we have Dean that shows itself in the world, we have Dean that shows itself in the world. We have to realize that it's not—it's not—we uh, we, we perceive it as one thing. We perceive it as all bad, but we have to realize that God is running the world in a certain way, in order to help us to fix whatever we have to fix. And and you know they say that God doesn't give you something you can't handle. Right. So obviously they couldn't handle more than the 86 in round 1, and therefore he delayed it to round 2, round 3, round 4, round 5. So the question is brought up, but the, the, seven, the first Galut was 70 years. That's not 86. And the second Galut, the second one, was 56 years. So that's not 86 years, or 52 years. And the third one was whatever, and the fourth one is 2,000 years. So he says, no, we can't figure out God's calculation on how each of those is, is calculated And how to fix each of those When we need to fix them so, so, so we see basically This whole idea of the deen And God mitigating the deen Going back to the idea Of Hashem telling Moshe of, God telling, of Moshe telling God Why did you do evil? And God explaining The idea there is that sometimes We get a peek into the world And we can try to see that what we perceive as evil is not always evil. It's not always evil. There's, a, there's a, the the there's a, the Gemara records that when the ten the ten martyrs were killed, there were ten, ten learned learned rabbis. We're going to call them rabbis in the in the first second century, and the Romans basically tortured these ten people and killed them most horrific deaths when it was happening and one of them was being burned with the Torah wrapped around him, the angels turned to God and they said, Is this your Torah? And is this the reward? This is a guy who dedicated his whole life to you. And this is the reward you're giving him? You're taking this guy who's a saint and you're allowing him to wrap the Torah and burn him at the stake? What are you doing? And the Gemara says that God turns to the angels and says to the angels, Be quiet, because if not... I'm going to return the world to toho v'aboh. I'm going to return the world to prior to the creation. And the rabbis ask a question, what do you mean, God? They ask you a legitimate question. You're going to say that if you, if, if, if you, if, if you want to ask me the question, like if I'm going to take my ball home and, and no one's going to play? I mean, what, what does that mean? So I saw a beautiful answer. And he tells a story about a certain tailor to the king and the king brings this tailor very expensive material. And he's always bringing him very expensive material, and this tailor is a mag- is unbelievable tailor, makes the most magnificent clothes for the king. And the, the tailor says, your majesty, for this suit that you want me to make, I need 10 yards of material. And the king says, no problem, material costs $1,000 a yard, he sends him the material. So there's another guy that doesn't like the tailor, and he comes to the king after, and he says, you know, this tailor, he's asking you for 10 yards all the time. He only needs seven. Look, I could show you how he only needs seven. I'll figure it out with you on the paper. And the king sees this guy's right, and the tailor is taking 10 yards. He's stealing three yards every time. That's thousands of dollars robbing the king. So he brings the man in and he says, listen, you're stealing from me. I can't believe it. You're such an unbelievable tailor, but how could you steal from the king? And he says, we're going to kill him. And now the tailor says, your majesty, before you kill me, give me the last suit I made for you. And he takes the last suit and he takes his knife and he starts to open up each thread in the suit. Take off each button, open up each fold. And he turns the suit, lays it out piece by piece and shows how it took 10 yards to create the suit. The only way he could show the king that this is what it took to create the suit was to return the suit back to before. So what God is telling the angels, he's saying this to them. He's saying if you want to understand the way the world works, you have two choices. Either to go back to the beginning when the plan was created, or go to the end when it's all done to see the picture. And sometimes we don't understand. Often we don't understand. But every once in a while, we get a peek into why bad things happen. And in this case, God is saying, I added the, 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 the extra work in order to get them to get out early. They're still going to have to pay the bill. But I gave them credit. And the credit is something they needed. So I told the story this morning. I, I had someone come to me on Thursday. And it's just, for me, a wild story. Now, the rabbis also say that there's, and, and I, I, I found where I pulled it out from, that generally we're subject to fate. We're subject to the mazalot. We're subject to the way life is supposed to be. But it says, En mazal le-Yisrael. When it says, En mazal le-Yisrael, there's no, there's no luck, there's no astrology. It's on only very rare occasions that you're able to go above the luck and modify the luck. But it doesn't mean we're not governed by fate. We have the ability to change fate. We have the ability to take a change and do something, and generally that's what we're going to call a miracle. So when things happen to us, even if they're bad things in the course of life, it just may be what I signed up for before I came down to earth as part of my own tikkun. So, keep that in mind. Does it make any difference whether you're under the Shekhinah or not? If you could change the the Mazal, for sure. That's why we said, if a person, last week we said, if a person could connect to the Shekhinah, and he could bring himself to the level of Bina, and that's the whole idea of Shabbat, to bring himself up to the level of Bina above the Mazalot, he has the ability to change or to influence his Mazal or his destiny. So when bad things happen to somebody who is not a Jew, those bad things could be bad. But when they happen to a Jew, they could be good. But I think that God is saying, no, everything that God does is good. Okay, so it's part of the panacea. So really, what does the Gemara say? The Gemara says, for anybody, everything that, God, that basically the Gemara says, that today we, we, we lose someone... We make a beracha, dayan emet, righteous judge. Because we, what are we going to say? That's all we can say. God is a righteous judge. I don't understand why you did it. I accept it. I'm upset. I'm not happy. But I accept it. When something good happens to us, so the rabbis make a joke, when the guy dies, we make dayan emet. When they read the will, we make Hatov <laughs> v'hametiv. God who's good and gives us, right? After the guy died a month later, we read the will. We, 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 it's a joke they make. Anyway, he says that, but when the time of Mashiach, there's only going to be one, one bracha, Hatov <laughs> v'hametiv. Why? The one who is good who does good. Because we're going to understand the picture and realize that what we perceive as bad is in essence good. So with that in mind, I just want to tell you this wild story. Because I think the wild story puts it a little in perspective. I said it this morning quickly, but I had a guy come to my office this week on Thursday. He sat down with me and he said to me, I need to tell you a story because you spoke a little while ago about this whole concept of when bad things happen, we have to try to see is there a silver lining in the the cloud. He said, about a year ago, my lease ended on my car. And I wanted to buy a sports car. My whole life, I wanted a little speed sports car, two seats, just me to drive. So I bring, I buy this car, and I bring it home, and my wife is going to kill me, because I have five kids, and the oldest is only sixteen, which means I have no reason to have a two-seat car. But I wanted it, and I bought it. So he says, my wife says, you know, it's not good. Two seats also can be an accident. He says, listen. Honey, thank God, God. I was never in an accident in my life. God willing, I should never be in an accident. I want the car. Say, so bye, the car. He says. A few weeks later, he's on Ocean Parkway. He stopped at the light, and all of a sudden, sitting at the light, just not even paying attention, boom! He's rear-ended. The whole back of the car is destroyed. He's like, doesn't know the wind is knocked out of him. They come to take him to the hospital. He says, no, I'm fine. I don't need to go. You know, tough. we're all tough guys. We're not going to the hospital. We're not going to the ambulance. And he says, I'm not going. I'm not going. They tow away the car. They're going to go fix the car. He goes home. Okay. A few weeks later, he gets his car back. A couple of months go by. He's in Manhattan. He's on one of the streets. He stopped at the light. And again, a truck. Boom. Rear ends. Him. And he has damaged the car. Again, he like wind knocked out. But he's not going anywhere. He says, something's going on. A couple months later, again the same story. His wife tells him, listen, you're an idiot. God is telling you something. Get rid of the stupid car. This car is just bad luck. Get rid of the car. I'm not getting rid of the car. Let me just finish the car. After a year, I'll get rid of that. He goes and fixes the car. Three weeks ago, he's on Ocean Parkway. So he's coming from the city on Ocean Parkway. He's in the right-hand lane, there's a backup in the right-hand lane, it's like 10 cars in front of him. He sees the middle lane has like four or five cars left. The left lane has almost no cars, but, you know, he's not in a rush. So he's sitting in the right lane, and all of a sudden, he looks in his rear-view mirror, and he sees some guy, and it looks like the guy's going to plow into him. So now he says, oh my God, not again. So he says, there's room in the left lane, let me try to move my car to the left side, maybe... I'll avoid it. So he tries to quickly move his car, and this guy's just barreling down. He fell asleep at the wheel, the guy behind him. He hits him now on an angle. What happens if you get hit on an angle? Your car starts to spin. So he starts to spin into the other side, oncoming traffic, but he didn't get hit again. But now, he said he can't breathe. The airbag exploded in his face. He's waiting for the katalak comes, the ambulance guys. And what do they do? They cut open his roof, because they can't get him out. They cut open the roof, and they slide the, the board in so that they could keep him straight. And they bring him to Maimonides, where you really don't want to go. So they take him to Maimonides Hospital in Brooklyn. They get to Maimonides, and the emergency room guy says, for sure, he, he, his lung is collapsed. He collapsed his lung. They do an x-ray. They see he collapsed his lung. One of the other doctors comes out. He goes, you know, we should do an MRI on his neck, on his head. He says, no, no, we don't need to do an MRI. We know what's wrong with him. He didn't get, a, he got hit on the side. It's not a, I think we should do an MRI. No, the insurance is not going to cover it and all the, you know, the hospital fighting. says, there's a community representative in, in the hospital. And the guy comes and he knows him and he's talking to him. He says, you know what? This guy really thinks you should have the MRI. I'm going to figure out a way to cover it up. And whatever we need to do, you'll have the MRI and we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. So they give him the MRI. Come back from reading the MRI. and they go, the accident didn't do anything to your head. But unfortunately, you have a tumor the size of a baseball right on top of your brain. They rush him from Maimonides to uh, Cornell to here to whatever, 68th Street. True story? True story. It happened Thursday. Tell me the story. Tells me it's his hat. He has, a, he has a cut from here to here. The size of a baseball. He says he didn't have a single symptom. Nothing. They take out this tumor sitting on his brain. And the doctor is shocked that there's nothing wrong with him because it's sitting on a brain, on a part of his brain that should have left him paralyzed. What happened? He's a true lefty. So because he's a true lefty, the side of his brain that does is a little different than the righty. So it's sitting on a part of his brain that doesn't affect his motor functions and therefore he was relatively fine. But had he not gotten to this tumor for another couple of weeks, they said, forget it. He would have been gone. So now he's saying to himself, I would never have gone to anybody because there are no symptoms. And the doctor said, had you not got in the car accident, he says, but what if when I got in the car accident 10 months ago and I had, I had an MRI then, he goes, then we would have got it, it would have probably been the size of a golf ball and it would have been a lot easier and a lot safer and a lot less, less. So he says, what happened? Whatever reason he had a tumor, from whenever he had the tumor. But for whatever reason, God was trying to send him a message to go get the MRI. But that's, imagine you get hit. You get hit again. What are you saying? God, what are you doing to me? Why are you sending me bad? But in reality, the bad is good. So the reality of Moshe, the bad is good. And the whole idea of this parasha is sometimes, lama why did you do evil to me? Is to realize that whatever God does has to be good. We just can't understand it. And we can have a million questions. And if Moses, who's the one who talks to God face to face, still has the question after all of this, why do you do bad to good people? Then that's not a question we're going to answer. But we just have to have faith that in the end, whatever God does has to be for the good. And sometimes we get a peek at why it's for the good to remind us the rest of the times to go with the flow and try to accept things that they are. Even after all this many years, later, Moses God to show him... that's what I'm saying even after all of this even after Moses went up to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights and he got the Torah and he's going up a second day to ask forgiveness for the Jewish people and God tells him I'm going to destroy the people and make you a nation and Moses tells God if you're going to destroy the people destroy me first you know wipe my name out from your book then Moses turns to God he says listen now I got I'm in there I'm as close as you can get. So he turns to God. He says, Now that I'm in here, God, and now we're having this real conversation, I got one question for you. Why do bad things happen to good people? And if God can't explain it to Moses, then for sure, oh, we're not going to understand it. I thought he was even asking more. He was asking, like, um, you know, he said, Tell me your ways, you know, like to explain his calculations. So if God says to him, You know, if you want to know that. You can't really be on this physical plane. You have to be on a, a spiritual plane, really, to get it. You have to see the whole painting. That's the you know To see my back means I have to go by. History has to be completed. The painting has to be completed. Once the painting's completed, then everything could be understood. But while we're in the painting, it's very hard to understand. It's very hard to understand. So I think the bottom line, when we started discussing it this morning... Why does, why does, you know, Moshe asks, Why did you do evil? The answer is, yes, it appears evil. And definitely it is evil. Because they're working 18 hours a day instead of 12 hours. But there's a purpose to what you're perceiving as evil, which will eventually benefit. The whole idea of getting out sooner with the 86 and the Midat Hadin just shows you that God basically does whatever He could do. Even when we're, we're, we, owe the, we, owe the, we have to pay the bill. No matter what, we have to pay the bill. But God does it in a way that's, that we're, we're able to pay the bill, that, it, that it's possible for us to pay the bill. He bends the rules as much as He could bend the rules to make it work for us. So we complain and complain and complain. We have to realize that in the end, He's doing whatever He could do for us. We just have to do our job in order to, to complete everything we have to complete. Something here. Yeah,